You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for joining us. For today's episode, I am delighted to share with you my recent conversation with jungle drum and bass legend, Ray Keith. Listen, I've been told by many engineers, Ray, don't redline it, you know, and I'm like, fuck that, man, just redline that bitch and push that sound all the way to the top. And my friend Noel went, it's simple with Ray stuff. You minus it at the top and you minus it at the bottom. There's nothing else you need to do. And then we asked him and they went, is there any anybody ever louder than Ray and more distorted than Ray? And he went, no. With a career soundtracked by the evolution of soul, hip-hop and rare groove, house, jungle and drum and bass, Ray Keith's impact on the evolution of British electronic music is remarkable. Ray recently published his book, Dark Soldier, a story of UK culture, of jungle music, of personal growth and self-development. So it felt like the perfect time to invite him onto the podcast. I so enjoyed our chat. Ray has the best stories and is a brilliant storyteller. He clearly cares so deeply for spreading the message of jungle drum bass, love, respect, community and elevating together. As you're about to hear, our conversation ranged from talking about the book to talking about Ray becoming a qualified jet ski instructor to seeing his daughter get up on the decks and do her very first DJ set at the start of this year. I really hope that you have a wonderful listen to Ray Keith on RA's Exchange. Welcoming the very legendary Ray Keith to the Exchange podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Ray. No worries. I'm, I'm, I'm very honoured and blessed to be here. I'm excited to chat to you today. Thank you. Could you set the scene for our listeners? So where are you today? What are the surroundings like? Um, I'm actually out of the country at the moment. Um, I'm busy working. I do quite a bit of work. I mean, obviously, we've been closed for a couple of years. Um, so international gigs have come back in and come into kick. Um, where are we? Um, I'm one of the pioneers of jungle drum and bass, if anyone knows about electronic music. Um, but a Two decades before that, I was, um, I'm a soul rare groove and jazz guy from the early days and then moved into um, early rave music, which was 88, 89. And then being one of the pioneers and co-founders, along with all my other pals, brothers and sisters from the mid 90s onwards. So there's, there's, a, there's a real change every two to four years. But we've managed to... Um, to do some great things. I mean, it's been a bit of an emotional weekend because Fabio and Groove Rider were, were with the Outlook Festival and they included one of my tracks and one of our friends sent me the footage and I was, I was quite emotional because these tracks that we made and what we did and set the foundations for 30 years ago, um, you don't really think about what's happening now, Martha. Do you know what I mean? You just forever playing, forever gigging, forever mm. making more music and making more albums because you're trying to kick those doors down. So um, I, I would say that we, we never stop. We just keep going, keep growing and keep learning. Mm. So you heard the Fabio and Groove Rider live with an orchestra from the Outlook event at the weekend. Yeah. How did you feel seeing that footage? Uh, I, felt, I felt happy and I felt emotional. I thought I was going to cry, but I didn't quite cry. So I had a kind of lump in my throat and mm. I was just seeing all the people jumping up and down and and also there's signature sounds that I've made over the years and to hear the 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 the, the, the reggae effects coming like that sound that I use um, and then the pause and then the piano and then the pause and then the bass line and everyone going nuts and um, actually Wilf Prophecy a good friend of mine from the early days uh, Metropolis he said and he quoted uh, will there ever be uh, a, a, another great uh, D&B and Jungle record? And I guess when I made it, it's, it was so futuristic, Martha, that w when you're living in the moment and people that 
who are in my book that inspired me, the likes of got uh, you know guy called Gerald and Fabio and Groove, them playing those tunes. We were all it's it's you know sci-fi is not that far from what we do. Do you know what I mean? We paint pictures and we tell stories with soundscapes. And just like the Steven Spielbergs and the George Lucases, that was our own interpretation through sound. That's how I would interpret it. And it's so futuristic that, you know, like you hear these tunes 30 years ago. And when I heard all the people screaming and shouting, I just wanted to be there because that would have been a lovely moment, but I couldn't. And um, and they have they really took me under their wings, you know. If it wasn't for that, I I come from a broken home. I come from the streets. I, w I was quite broken and had no self confidence when I came to London. And that meant everything to me when I heard them doing an interpretation of my track with a, an orchestra. It kind of brought all those fundamental. Um, foundations of my genetic makeup. I mean, I'm over half a century now in years of age. I won't tell you quite how old, but definitely over half a century. And, but what I'm saying is I've learned a lot. And I was angry back then, you know, I was, I was broken, I was lost, I didn't have any identity. And jungle, drum and bass, that gave me that, you know, all my, you know, like we, LTJ Bookham says in my testimonial, we have an under, underlying connection even though we we don't see each other now, that that foundation that we put together, that we looked after each other, that we made each other money, that we looked, that it was just amazing, you know. Mm, really powerful. Um, so we're going to talk about lows today. There's already so many strands of conversation that you've already introduced me to. But Thank if you. you're if you're up for it, could you take us all the way back to your earliest memory that is connected to sound or to music? Yeah, my. Dad was was one of the um, so you had the wind windrush generation from Jamaica, but also at the same time from Mauritius. My mum and dad were given scholarships to come over here to become nurses. My mum became a sister, equivalent to a matron, and my dad became a charge nurse, which is equivalent to a nursing officer. And they both did RNMS and SRN, so they were both registered state nurses and uh, my dad won a gold medal he was a member of new pay um you know uh, getting rights for workers um and they excelled they came over here in the 60s and 70s um the music that was in my house was a uh, sega which is a form of soca and reggae joined together my mum i've still got my mum's um record collection bless her she's in heaven now uh, she, her, she it, it was from Diana Ross to Elvis to the Beatles, same as my dad. My dad introduced me to music through the eight-track cartridges that he used to have. He bought me a radiogram. He, they bought me a load of rock and roll songs from the early days. And when I was a youth and when I was growing up, my uncle had a shop in Colchester called First and Foremost that my dad used to go and see. And they brought me my very first tape deck which was a Grundig tape deck is what I used to record the top 40 on because I didn't want like all that bloody talking. So I would pause the the, 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 the tape and then it would run continuously like a mixtape, but just no talking. And, um, and sometimes you'd have to stop it, rewind it, play the end and just where you thought it was, press pause, record and then release for the next track. But that specific question that you asked me, I was probably eight, or 10 years old, I was a bit of a tear away. I used, you know, it was very hard growing up, coming from a broken family. And in Colchester was a white town. It was, you know, skinheads were rolling. You, you didn't used to walk from home, Martha. You used to run. And I didn't look behind me. I just, and then I used to go, get through the front door, close the front door and think, oh shit, I made it. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, now I can have my cup of tea and my little sweet and whatever. But Specifically then, I'd been grounded and I was cleaning my dad's car. The radio was on and I heard Donna Summer's I Feel Love, the Patrick Cowley 15 minutes long version. And, I, and, and something in my brain went, how do they make those sounds? What is coming out of the speakers right now? And, um, and then I, I was I was open to so much music, ACDC, You Shook Me All Night Long, The Police, Message in a Bottle, um, 
Gary Newman cars, Duran Duran. But whilst this was going on simultaneously in the, the, the white pop culture world, and then you had The Clash, and, you, and I've gone through the whole punk era and Malcolm McLaren and the early bits of hip hop, you, you had this amazing soul funk uh, vibes going on with the likes of T.C. Curtis and Loose Ends. And then Soul Train come on and I was like, shit, yeah, I look like those dudes. Like, that's kind of me. Um, and that, that would have been my first earliest identification of, of being brown and being different. Where did I fit? You know, like, where did I actually fit? Like, but I went through, you know, I, I was a rocker, I was a punk, I was a mod, and, and, and I listened to heavy metal. And, but then I just, and then electronic music, when I started to listen to, like, um, Ultravox and Gary Newman and John Fox, and I was like, these uh, Depeche Mode and orchestral maneuvers in the dark, I was like, this is me, this is the, the analogue sound which I would later on and go and discover. And then hip hop changed my life when, um, you know, there was uh, uh, the Sugar Hill Gang when they first came out and all of the original uh, Sugar Hill records. Uh, and also alongside that, you had the likes of Motown and Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. So do you know what? I couldn't have grown up within a better time. And then there was the industrial revolution going on and cars and... You know, and, and I remember watching Tomorrow's World and them showing us a CD and like, this is the future. <laughs> now you can airdrop shit on your phone. I mean, how, how it would, you would never imagine that it would change that quickly. But so did the music. And those are, would, those are the fond memories, you know, watching, buying Michael Jackson's Thriller, um, buying Loose Ends, uh, Lisa Stansfield, Love is a Big Thing, before she was a big recording artist. Uh, she was in a band and I had, I was lucky enough then to work in my dad's um, uncle's record shop and I, I picked up a 12 inch called Painter Man and then I, I was buying records. I was engrossed in, I mean, you, you probably don't know what Woolworths is, but it's back in the oh, day. Oh, I do, I do. I do, do you? Okay, yeah, there was, right. there was one in Peckham. Yeah, definitely. Oh, right, cool. So I used to go to Woolworths and I used to go and buy, they used to have like your top 20 in Woolworths and you could go in there and buy the records. And I was like, shit, damn, this is, this is amazing. So I was buying records. I think one of the first records I bought was Message in a Bottle by Police and it had that kind of, I didn't know anything about reggae. I, I'd come from white suburbia kind of Colchester, Essex, we love our cars and our dice in the in the car and our furry furry interior, and we, and that's and, and, and we love football and we love boxing and, we, and and fighting was a big part of you had to take care of yourself, and um, and I guess those were the foundation and family was a big thing as well. My da my dad and my mum both had a big family, but that would have been my early recollections. I just fell in love with music. I just loved it. You know, it was a it was. Um, it was a way of just releasing my energy and 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 feeling love, you know, like feeling something that that, mm. that you could connect to, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And we can also hear from that those stories you starting to change your relationship to music from just a a listener to someone that actually collects and curates. Um, what was the first like rave that you went to? When were you first experiencing, you know, more like electronic sounds in the in a live environment? That that was that would come later on, um, but my f <laughs> this is crazy. I used to listen to a lot of soul, rare groove, jazz. I met a guy called Dave Malone, um, who was a very dear friend of mine, who did a testimonial and and allowed me to go on pirate radio station. Before I was 14, 15, 16, I was jumping out of my bedroom window, fully closed. So I would go to bed, because my dad was so strict that I would go to bed with my pyjamas on, but underneath my pyjamas, I'd be fully dressed, ready to just t tear off all of the, the, you know, the, the shirt and the pants. Then I would jump out of my window onto a ledge, then jump from the ledge onto the grass, which would have been five or six foot. And then I would run all the way down Valentine's Drive, which is in Colchester, if you know that, all the way down to the bottom of the hill, all the way down Ipswich Road, down to Magdalen Street, run up Magdalen Street and cut through and get to the Embassy Suite, which was on Balkan Hill. It was a bitch. 
And as I would get there, I would be a dripping, sweaty mess. Now, I'd rather uh, I'd run all the way or walk really fast and I would catch the last hour, pay my money to go in and they and then go and stand by the DJ booth. And I would see this white dude with glasses um, uh, called Dave Malone and he would play the tunes. And every time I asked him for the tune, he would tell me what it is because some of them didn't tell you that. And that was my first time of raving and letting my hair down. And I was a soul rare groove jam dancer. I mean, man can cut some shapes when he's ready. But I'm talking about that whole soul rare groove where you're sliding and it was just amazing. You know, it was as a young youth. And then also to be play, dancing with other black and white people that love the same music as you, it's like, yeah, there, there's a place for this. But my friend Johnny Holmes, God bless him, R.I.P. Johnny Holmes, I love him. Um, uh, he would take me to heaven on a Monday night. I would be 16 years old and I went into this club. And oh my fucking days. Everything was like, what the fuck is going on? Lasers, loud music and, the, and one of the gods who's, who actually did the forward in my book, Colin Hard. And I would stand up there, Martha, and I would watch all of them. I would watch Carl Cox. I would watch Paul Trouble Anderson. I would watch Colin Hart. I would watch Fabio Groove Ride. I would watch Alex P. I would watch Dominic Spread Love. I would watch Johnny Walker. Uh, did I say Paul Oakenfold? Yeah. And I would be watching these guys and thinking, I, I want to be up there. And I want to be playing them tunes. And I used to run up the stairs, go to the cage and watch them playing. And and um, I don't know if, I think because it was just genuine love, like myself and Mickey Finn, we just used to say, what's that record? And they would tell us what the record is. Then I would go back and then I would try and source that record. Uh, from the early places, but then I landed a job at City Sounds because I was already working for a guy called Buster Brooker in Clapton-on-Sea, which I would be now 17, 18, and I'd be warming up in the club. But but heaven, and back then it was called Land, Land of Oz Spectrum. It was the next level. It was something, you know, you just connected. And, you, and I would dance from, we would get there about 10 or 11, and we wouldn't leave till five, six in the morning. Then I would go back home, have a wash, and then go straight to work. On no drugs, not no pills for me, because I didn't pop pills or smoke. Mm. I was I just that. a, I was just a purist, and I would be absorbing those soundscapes, those rays of sound, and and just taking it all in, and just like I'd be like, yeah, wow, and I'd be seeing my pals, I'd be hugging them, you know, and they'd be off their tits, and uh, and I would be hugging them in a nice way of like. Well, I can't believe I'm here and you brought me. And then we would all get together and, and go home and then get on with our lives till next Monday. And then and then obviously it became rage for Fabio and Groove Rider. And I I guess for me I was just at the right place at the right time, Martha. I came from Essex. There was another good friend of mine called Stu Banks, who I used to gig for. And we're talking about now pre-jungle and pre- uh, it, it was more house, you know, it was 88, 89, 91, 92. And I got my break in London in 88 from working at the record shop. <clears throat> but yeah, that, those were, that, those are my earliest memories. Mm. And how long was it before you had sort of your first attempt at production between having that connection and that, that moment with the music? How long did it take you to have a go? Well, when I was a youth, about 14, there was a guy called Conan and there was another guy who, who would go on to have Origination Record, Solomon and me. And we would, and this is, a, this is a mad thing, right? Solomon's brethren was Fotec in Ipswich. And then he was like, hey, I need to introduce you to this guy. And then I took Rupert to Phil Basement. And I was like, listen, see this geezer he and i was i i've always been someone to open doors i don't shut doors we build we don't tear down and i'm not scared of competition i'm like mate give it your best shot because as good as what you are going to be i'm going to be even better because i can adapt and i can listen so i love boxing and and, and it's a respectful thing where if you don't open those doors master nothing you know if you protect it and hold it and 
which we did for a time when we when the corporates were coming in and they were taking the piss. This was nineties, but. The us three, we went to Conan's dad's studio in East London, and we made our first track. And um, I think it was a, an amalgamation of house and hip hop and uh, UK rap. I was always good friends with um, with with uh, Pogo from London Posse. I started promoting early and putting on gigs when I was fifteen, sixteen. Uh, one one would some gigs would be at the Tartan House. Another place was at Woods Leisure Centre. We've done a massive rave and 2,000 people turned up and I booked Pogo to play there. And I, we were all playing different genres of music, but people were going nuts. Um, and that was the first time I'd entered production. I wouldn't touch production again until I went and was working at City Sounds. And then I would meet my first engineer at Aston through Carl Tough Enough Brown. I, he was DJing at Astoria and I said I want to come to the studio and I would go to Noisegate Studios, 88, 89. Myself and Carl, you know, you know Carl Tough Enough Brown, he went on to do Tough Jam uh, uh, with Matt Jam Lamont and that was my introduction and I met Aston, uh, there was another guy uh, who was my engineer and he introduced me to Aston and Aston would be my long-term engineer where I would make the subliminal hits and remixes like uh, Chimes remix and stuff like that. And then it wouldn't, and then that would be 93 to 94, I would meet Nookie through my friend Pedro at working at City Sounds. And um, he then would introduce me to Pedro and I would have a 20 year relationship with him making all my hits. And then also I had different engineers in between. Lemon D engineered for me on a few of my tunes. Um, but but it was myself and Nookie, it was that rough and smooth. So that was the beginning of that beautiful journey. Amazing. Um, this might be a little detour, but I was just picking up on what you've been saying about uh, going back to like listening and consuming records and also just radio. Um, and I think it's quite funny that you used to cut the talking parts out of the top 40 um, and just have it just a continuous mix. Would you say that your kind of relationship to radio has changed like over your career? Because you've gone from, you know, not really uh, caring about the talking on other people's stations and then doing Pirate and then doing your own show for many years. Um, what's your sort of relationship been like to radio as a listener and also as a broadcaster? I wouldn't. I wasn't dissing the, the 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 talking. I just wanted to get to the music. Yeah. So, but I mean, I was listening, and we have to give props. I mean, a lot of your listeners are probably younger than me, and probably you're my. I've got my eldest son's thirty-two. The youngest one's thirty-one. My two daughters, one uh, Mia is um, twenty-two, and Lola will be twenty-one on Wednesday, the second of Feb. So. Wow. Um, when I was growing up, there were several people that I used to listen avidly to on radio. One of them would be Robbie Vincent on Radio 1. And the other one, earlier than that, would be Tony Blackburn on Radio Caroline, playing the finest black music. And also uh, John Leach and also Buster Brooker on Radio Orwell. Uh, now that was my... Um, and, and, and also early versions of John Peel and Annie, which were more left field, but you knew who they were because you'd be like, OK, they're playing like uh, like Susie and the Banshees, but indie and just different things that you wouldn't hear before it became mainstream. So they were breaking a lot of artists. And then I guess watching, which I guess looking back at was chauvinistic and quite sexist, but that was the time... Of, of, of when TV was like that. Um, and you had the likes of Wogan, Parkinson, um, Andy Williams, and all these guys that would interview and sing, but, but interview as well. And I learned a lot from them of how to be articulate in asking questions and it being natural. Um, I remember that when Oliver Reed went on to be interviewed by Parkinson, and he was fucked. He was drunk. He didn't give a shit. But the way he dealt with that interview wasn't to make him and belittle him and make him look little, but actually just roll with the punches and just go, well, 
what because some people are more articulate than others some people are reserved some people don't want to talk some people actually will trust you to talk and it's like DJing if you DJ and you're a specialist whether whatever music you're playing they have to trust you for them to take you on a journey for instance the other week I played a, um a, I did an hour and a half set at a free rave in Brighton all these young kids were playing and let me tell you something no MC they were having it they were having it from start to finish because there was a beginning and there was a middle and there was an end. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've learned and what I've taken from listening to even Jeff Young um, and um, Rob the Bank uh, later years, um, uh, listening to Trevor Nelson, uh, listening to um, David Rodigan, and all of these guys had, had re you know, Pete Tong, they had amazing voices. I mean, when I met, when I heard Robbie Vincent, I thought, this geezer must be like a strapping lad, you know what I mean? He's got such a deep voice. And then when I saw him, he was just like a, a skinny guy. And I was like, <laughs> could, could that be it? But then that's your perception, perception mm. of never judge a book by its cover until you see what you're looking for. And don't try and walk in anyone's shoes. Don't judge anyone until you've walked in their shoes. Because whether that's a drug dealer, a prostitute, uh, a gangster or a humble person you don't know how they live their life and how they got to where they got to I got to my music saved me so much Martha that I would have ended up in jail I would have been dead like a lot of our friends in, in, in what happens because it, it cracks and you lean on drugs and you lean on alcohol but I think God many times I thought God had abandoned me but it was just my journey of, of a singular journey and, and realising that later on, you know, like you have so much tragedy, but music really did save my life and, and production. And it just gave me an outlet to be creative, you know, and, mm. and that was a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And also it sounds to me like this sort of long journey of building that trust between you and your audience and knowing that you're going to consistently be there for them and uh, over the years, which is very beautiful. 100% and they believe in, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't chat bullshit. I'm not trying to um, uh, oppress my political beliefs, my religious beliefs. Well, all I want to do is to play really good music like John Peel and let you open your earbuds and your senses to go, actually, this is a fucking tune. And think out of the box and represent everything from jungle, drummer, bass, liquid, tech, wobble, jump up, I don't care what it is. And I think through lockdown, where I was going to the radio and I was doing my shows and nobody else was, and I had such lovely, like, they were like, Ray, you got us through those dark times and you, we were there with you, we tuned in. I was getting seven to 10,000 views on a lunchtime between one and three, or two, 12 and two. I was like, geez, this is mad. Like, my, like it'd be five or six hundred people tuned in. And I would be like, right, I need to let off some tunes here. And, and that was a great thing. But also always drawing myself back in to have balance and making sure that I'm telling the real story, the 360 degrees, the best sound of London. And bringing in new artists, artists that you'd never heard of before. Um, and that's another thing that I'm super blessed of being able to do a &Ring. and once you make a piece of music master and you play it a hundred or thousand times in your headphones and it's yours up until the day you play it out or on radio it's no longer yours it's everybody else's so mm -hmm. that is a, a a beautiful thing to to put something out there and and play that you know yes yeah, so share that with everyone and um, you've had quite a few different aliases over the years um, what have you found to be sort of the benefits of creating different personas within music? I just couldn't have all my shit coming out at one time. <laughs> that's, that's the honest truth. I was producing so much. I was like, I had, I had London's Most Wanted, I had Dark Soldier, I had Ray Keith, I had Renegade. Um, two of the tracks on Chronic, I never even had a name. But we didn't give a shit. And that's the other beauty thing of, of Jungle Drummer Face. We didn't care if you were straight, white, gay, black, brown, alien. We didn't give a shit what colour you were, what creed you were, what gender you were. If it was a good tune, it was about the music. And that's what integrated 
a, a multicultural society for people raving. We were breaking down barriers and, 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 and all, the, all the horrible things that go on with being called names um, uh, when, you, when you're out and about and building friendships that would um, last uh, decades. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think that is part of the legacy, 100%. Mm. And also sort of cultivating spaces, whether it's online or in in real life for people to kind of congregate. I was wondering about, you know, because you've mentioned a couple of times record shops, you know, the physical presence of them. And we kind of don't really have that in the same way as I think what you've described. Um, what did it kind of mean to you to have a physical space like a record shop that you could go to, work in, congregate and also do you think there's any kind of equivalent now for, for young producers and fans to congregate? I, I think that was the making of it. And I think that was our social media hub place. You know, um, by the time, and that itself, that culture, dub plate culture, music house, RIP Leon uh, Chu, who was uh, one of the young master cutting engineers there. But the first time I met Chris and the first time I met Paul, uh, they gave us some form of identity. These guys were from Jamaica. They were speaking Patois. They were hardcore uh, 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 reggae and, and musicians uh, and cutting dubs. And, and Jungle fitted straight into there because it had that, that element of the streets. It was what the streets were talking about. Just as today, uh, kids are listening to grime and drill. That's, their, that's what they grow up with. That's what's been played on the radio. So that itself was an, a melting hub of connection, of loyalty, of alliances. Don't get me wrong, not everyone got on, but you didn't have to like someone to play their tune because it was a, it was a good tune and, and, and it bridged a lot of gaps and there were camps, but I've always rode my own boat and stayed on my own island and I've been independent as most of us did. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm, and I had enough shelling to give out to, 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 the, to my DJs. So Fab, Groove, Frost, Brian, Randall, Kenny, Darren, Mickey, Brocky, Nicky. They were, they were my, my, my LTJ Bookham. They were the first guys I'd give music to. They would go on and play it out, smash it, and then everybody would be on my case. Um, but I'd give a, a separate bit to everyone. But the importance of record shops was, I was a key player because I was buying music off the van. And then I would put it into the top 10's cubbyhole. Pete Tong, Jeff Young, uh, Paul Oakenfold, Carl Cox. There was the top tier 10, I had to put it in. But also I'd be buying 20 copies. LTJ Booker, Fabio, Groove Rider, Frost, Brian, me. You know, I would have a, a, my own cubbyhole and, and I would be giving our own people those musics. So we were playing it at the same time as being on road and sometimes I'd only have one copy and I'd think shit I'll give it to Ryder let Ryder play it and um, it's only now that we've done a zoom and he you know Ryder's quite a cut off cold guy and even my co-writer went Jesus man's got so much love for you and I was like because they they took me under their wing and they are family to me like I would I would uh, you know they're the type of guys and there's certain women in the scene that have helped me that I would stand in front of them and take a bullet or, or stand in front of them if it was kicking off, because that's how it is, because it's that deep that, that when a person opens a door and makes you and gives you a career that you can feed your family and you can feed yourself and you can have your own set of ethics and trying to be the best person that you can be, we all didn't all start like that. We, we were hurt. We come from broken families. We were looking for love. We we weren't getting it. The system was fucked. It it was abusing us. It you know black on black crime. Um, you had a choice. You either go on road and be a bad man, or you pick up a set of decks and you get some headphones and you do your homework and and you you take out your your battles there. But that itself was amazing. When MySpace came. I guess it was, bruv, you all right? What you got for me? Yeah, nice. And that was it. There was no communication as such. Then you would have Twitter, then you would have Facebook, then you would have um, 
another changing point was SoundCloud. And I guess that was really good for new artists to put their music to. But the thing about it is now, Martha, there's no quality control. There's no way of coming through anything where somebody's telling you, well, you should be doing this. And some of it sounds like a bag of shit. Because I want to play music that... To me, music is, is I can play in 20 years' time. Like, we have showed you how to make music that lasts the test of time. I'm not saying your tune is shit, but what I'm saying is you need to be playing it and making it at a level that you can, can, can start touching people's lives. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why I did um, the Loop Masters sound packs, because I was like, look, let's give them the weight. Let's give them the samples. Let them mess about with loops and create their own music without having to sample anything. And at least they're tenfold ahead. And some of those kids have signed. Some of those kids have come back to us. Some of those kids have gone, oh, mate, if it wasn't for those. And even house producers, because they've got the weight. You know, like this is the other thing. We're scientists, sound scientists. We haven't got any qualifications of that sort, but I guess if we were linked to some university, um, listen, I've been told by many engineers, Ray, don't redline it, you know, and I'm like, fuck that, man, just redline that bitch <laughs> and push that sound all the way to the top. And my friend Noel, he's, uh, he was one of the guys who taught um, another guy from Masterpiece, Neil, to cut my records, went, it's simple with Ray stuff. You minus it at the top and you minus it at the bottom. There's nothing else you need to do. And then we asked them and they went, is there any anybody ever louder than Ray and more distorted than Ray? And he went, no. And I guess when you realise, and I know this, I don't think this is going off on a tangent because I guess this is coming towards the, like, like I suppose, um, realization of what you've done in all these years uh, I was playing in America I was playing in the hood in Brooklyn at a place called Output so if you ever went to the end or if you've ever been to ministry it was as good as if not better than that they had the function one custom speakers on the side on each side I was wearing boings at the time and it felt like I was floating I did a two-hour set people were crying because when we play Martha we play raw I don't know if you've ever heard me play or if you've heard Fab or Groove or Frost or Brian, but we're not fucking about. We're coming in, we're telling the story how it is, and we're representing. We've got that sprinkle of jungle magic dust, and then the new technology what's around us. That's what keeps us fresh, and, and drawing in the tunes and listening and being open to sound. And uh, one of these guys goes, yo, man, it's my nigga from PE, man. And I was like, PE? And like a typewriter, a ding moment, I just went, brothers and sisters, I don't know what this world is coming to. And I looked at him and I went, I went, public enemy, yeah, Hank. And he went, yeah, this is Hank Shockley. And he went, yo, man, I got some of your records, man. <laughs> I looked at him and I was like, mate, are you having a laugh? I said, I was buying your records when I was 14. After that, I went to breakfast with him. And we sat, he sat in one corner, I sat in the other corner. These dudes were sitting in the middle and they just couldn't believe hip-hop, jungle, drum and bass. They're at the, t the top of the game, they're pioneers. And we've become good friends ever since. And he actually, he, he's always, we don't, he's a man of not many words, but very, very intellectual. When he says something and puts it out in the universe, like, you need to have your shit ready and you need to act on it. And he sent me a documentary, uh, sent me a, an email last year, and it's when they were celebrating, not last year, the year before, when they were celebrating the 20 years of Metalhead's video. And he went, yeah, right, we need a dread documentary. And that spurred me on to finish writing my book. And now I'm in the middle of making Dread at the Controls, a documentary, which I've already shot half the footage from last year. I've just oh, got wow. to do the interviews. And that's basically going to be a documentary of sound and vision from my eyes, from, from our contribution and the label and the sound that we invented. Mm, very exciting. All right, this feels like the perfect moment to talk about your book then. So would you tell everyone all about the book, what's in the book 
to to start us off? The, the book for me is is a personal journey, and this there is, it is. And also, this this is an acting picture that my friend took because I've got I've been doing some acting as well okay. for the last two years. So, wow. and I was um, I was with um, Ashley Waters from Top Boy at his Kingdom Drama School, um, and this is the picture. Uh, that, that I took in the 90s that was in Knowledge Magazine. And I guess, Martha, it's uh, it's a book of personal growth and, and a personal journey as a human being. Um, it's also a, um, a diary of COVID. And I guess it's a, a, through my eyes of, of what was going on and how I was reacting and what we were doing. And also it's a bib bibliography and uh, a detailed chronological timeline of the start for me of and the change for me of analog music into electronic music and all the influences that helped me um to to do that i think actually let me just just for your listeners to yeah, let's read this out. Do you mind? I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's have a look. Story and, time. Yeah, storytelling. Right. 55 rotations around the sun, so many highs and lows. A life spent entrenched in music and culture that's been my heartbeat since day one and my sole driving force. A journey of healing and discovery. So much has happened in my life. So many people have influenced my life. So much music has changed my life. It's impossible for me to include it all. I've tried to be as faithful to the timeline and details and facts as possible and include as many people and events as I could. But books have word counts and memories get hazy. So inevitably, certain people and certain moments have not come to mind while working on this book. Please accept this as a special dedication to everyone who's played a role in my life, no matter how large or small. I send love and respect to every single person I've ever interacted or shared a moment with. I send deep appreciation and take my hat off to every artist who has ever moved or inspired me with their creations. I send untold thanks to everyone who's booked me, who's released my music or opened any type of door for me. It's made me who I am and I can't thank you enough. If I haven't included you, don't worry, this is the story so far. Ray King, September 2021. And I guess that uh, before we the book gets started, I guess that that's what it is, you know, growing up. I guess in the book, I talk about some real serious issues that happened to me. If you haven't read the book, I don't want to spoil it for you. But when you read the preface... It's shocking. It's like, what the fuck is going on? And it wants you to read the book um, further and get into my life. And also Dave Jenkins. I didn't want to just do a ghost read. I wrote this book with him. They're my words. When you read it, you can hear me in your head. If you know what I'm if you know what I sound like, and if you listen to my radio show, it's like I can hear Ray. This is Ray. This is how he talks. Also, a good friend of mine now. Carl Tuffenough Brown, who was, um, who is now a minister, uh, a, a Christian minister. I didn't want to use blasphemer because that's where I come from. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to, I wanted to show you a different side of who the real Ray Keith is. When I'm out on road, and when I was out on road with them, big gold, big chains, and you know, it was my armor, Martha. You know, like. Like somebody would see me and go, oh, well, I don't really want to fuck with my man, you know. And that was the whole thing because I didn't want you to fuck with me. I just wanted to be getting on with my business in a quiet way and just be getting on with it. But 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 that was our connection with the streets. We love the streets. We love the culture. It, it, it gave us identity. And this story is not just my story. It's your story. It's how you grew up listening to us in the background of your life you know whether you got married you got divorced you got hooked on drugs you came off drugs um, and music inspired you I've had some amazing things like I've had so much love from the book it's made me cry sometimes when I go on and people say oh Ray like I totally identify with what you said you know 
what happened to my mum, what happened to my dad, what happened to me, what happened to my life, what happened to my, my whole being. It's not easy. And you give up a lot uh, to, to live your dreams and reach for the stars, you know. It's not how you fall down. It's how you dust yourself off and go again and again and again. And there's no such word as calm. You know, you as a female presenter, DJ, artist, you have had this bullshit all your life. Oh, well, you can't do that. Oh, well, you can't do this. But you choose your own path, your own integrity. You choose what sells you. You you sell yourself better. But how do you want to be perceived? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Where do you want to fit within... Mm. That, that platform, that level of how people look at you go, actually, uh, wow, they've, they've got integrity. Integrity is everything to me. I don't play music I don't like. And mm. I'd rather, and I went through that stage of not getting booked because I wasn't flavour of the month. And I'm yeah. like, it will come back round, you know. And I lost a lot of things, you know, my marriage uh, breakdowns, you know, money. I chose put on parties and, and, and put out records and, and not pay my mortgage sometimes because that was the risk that we took, you know, yeah. and all of us have done that. And that's that's a high risk game. Do you know what I mean? That's like, I don't even gamble, but like that's gambling. But that's the belief in yourself that you know, no, this is going to happen. This is going to work. I'm going to make it work. I've worked three or four jobs to get where I am. I've always worked during the day. And it was to share those journeys with people and, and, and to say thank you to everybody that ever bought my record or, or listened to me or, you know, I want, I want to, I'm going to put out a positive vibe and a positive energy, um, for, for the world, you know, like I've, I've, I've traveled around the world <coughs> many times. I've met some incredible people. I've eaten some incredible food. Um, and I've made some incredible friends, friends for, that, that, when I die, I'll take them with me. Do you know what I mean? Those memories. And when you get old and you sit down and, you know, you're just like a little bit incapacitated, it's here that you've got everything up in. And I'm grateful for that, you know. Mm, I can really hear that for sure. Um, what's your kind of relationship to writing been like over the years? Like, How long has that been a medium of your self-expression? My mum and dad were very well-educated people. I guess I was the black sheep of the family. In my book, there's bits of why I, 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 I was dragging behind. But, you know, we're, we're articulate. We're brave. We're strong. Um, we're intelligent. Um, a lot of the time, you know, we're told we can't do things, but we learn. I'm a quick learner. I'm still learning. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I can show you that hypothesis. You can. Um, and I... I'm growing into myself as I become older. You want to read, you want to know, what. why is this? I want to pass that knowledge on to my children. I want them to have a better life. I don't want them to struggle. Both of my daughters went to private education. Both of my sons are, are, are one's a teacher and other ones um, into uh, management for uh, properties. My oldest daughter now, she's in IT and doing accounts and the youngest one, uh, she's still finding her way, but she played her first set a couple of weeks ago at E1 under Low Selector. She's only been DJing a few months, and I just threw her in the deep end. My nephew's Joy Orbison. I took him in uh, when he was young. And Lola, she had a light bulb moment where she looked at me and she said, Dad, and I went up when, when she was DJing, because obviously I, I, I wanted to make sure she was all right, but she played an MP3. <laughs> volume dropped she must have thought fuck what just happened so I went up there adjusted the levels she went that one's low isn't it dad I went babes you're going to learn not to play mp3s you need to play wavs like your dad she said yeah I feel that dad I'm feeling you right now I was like okay cool I said well just get back and do what you need to do I said you cool she went yeah I'm cool she had her her um her hoodie up she looked so relaxed that she was just in the music when that previously, two weeks to that, she was in my studio and, and I was letting her go through my music folders and she went, Dad, what's this tune? Uh, and I said, well, I haven't played it out yet, but yeah, go on, take it. And I gave her three or four tunes like that. She drew all of those tunes in the dance with no fear. My best friend, Andy Pandy, was sitting next to me. He, went, he looked at me, he went, fucking hell, Ray. She's going in, Ray. <laughs> and I grabbed him and I held him and I said... That's my girl, you know. And then I went up there and at the end of the set, 
she looked drained, but she looked beautiful with the drainedness of like when you would come off the decks and it's like, yeah, I just fucking spanked this bitch. And that was her first warm-up set. Martha, there was no one on the dance floor. By the time she came off, it was packed. So wow. she'd, made, she'd made her imprint. She didn't mix. She cut the tunes in. Her timing was so perfect. I was like, she didn't even try to mess about with the whole, I'm going to try and beat match. So she did what I did 40 years ago and just cutting in the tunes to make them to fit. And the, the set that she curated, I mean, the day she came over, she was like, Dad, I'm going to have a practice. I looked at her, I went, Lo, that's done now, babe. She went, what? I went, it is what it is. And she went, what do you mean it is what it is? And I went, whatever you're going to lay down and throw down tonight, just go with your heart. Don't matter about pressure. Don't matter about anything. Just play with your heart. And that's what she did. And afterwards, I went up, she looked at me, and she was rolling her headphones. Uh, lady, and she looked at me, she said, Dad, that's better than any drug I've ever taken. She <laughs> said, that energy, I feel like I, 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 this is my place, Dad. I, I feel like I belong here. And then she looked right into my soul, into my eyes, and she went, Dad, I think the music's going to save me. And I went, Lola, the music saved me, babe. So that is our legacy, you know, to, uh, to hand on the baton, and I didn't push her to come into DJing just like Mills, Nikki Black Market's daughter or Pete Tong's daughter or any of the girls that are now DJing. And I think we, we need more females to, to, to command uh, 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 and, and to take presence. You know what I mean? Like, but what I'm saying to you is when it's your own and what I'm saying to you is let's switch back to boxing. If I spar with someone and someone is beating me up whilst I'm sparring, I'm not learning anything, am I? I'm not learning anything at all apart from being scared and going into my shell and go, oh, you know what, fuck this, I'm not going to do that. But if you actually show me how to move, you know, you've got to stand on your own two feet and, and you've got to learn and those mistakes. And she learned those mistakes. There was, some, there was some big mistakes that she made, but it's learning on the job. DJing's pretty much learning on the job. But yeah, I mean, just DJing and just playing it is just that medium of, of, of people going out. And back in the day, you would know if it was an LTJ Bookham set or a Ray Keith set or a Fab or a Groove Rider set because you'd be going out to pay your money to see these people play because they were guaranteed they would, they would blow your socks off and you would go home going, wow, what a night that was. Mm. Amazing. I love to hear stories about your daughter. What, what's her artist name? Low Selector. Low Selector, yes. Amazing. So she's... Um, and both of them play draw tunes on me every day when I'm at home. You know, Dad, have you heard this? Dad, have you heard that? Lola just sent me a tune from some dude that actually emailed me the tune. So that's how hot she's on it. I was like, wow. Um, but that means that she's finding her way and she wants to show me what she's learning. And that's, that's very important to me. Mm, mm, so special that you guys can have that relationship and you mentioned Joyo who's a producer that our audience will know very very well and he's said in interviews you know how much of a, a big impact you've had on him um, what's it like when you listen to his music I mean yeah when I first heard Hi Flamingo uh, I was like this boy's he's just done something different when you fuse house and dub and jungle together and and he's a special uh you know every now and again martha you get a special uh, entity that en enters the world of music whether it be other people that are brought in blade runners Syrup, serum voltage twisted anger fotec lemon d dillinger you know like these kids are uh, you know now japa lupo ben snow uh, ac13 um all of the next generation of, of kids, you know, uh, and there's loads more, like just bringing them in and letting them do what they do and having their own platform. Uh, you know, people like Maller are very inspirational to me because they keep that art form pure and they don't sell out. And that's what I'm about. Listen, if someone wants to give me a bunch of money to sit in a room with people and make some commercial records and come in as a consultant and give them some credibility, that's cool. But we don't even need to do that because we've got people coming now and approaching us going, Ray, I want you to do a remix and I need that. I want that authentic jungle sound because they can't 
they can't recreate that Mulford. Do you see what I'm saying? They they can't really, they can have a good go at it, but it's not going to be sitting how it should be sitting. I've got a couple of albums coming out with Nightfalls. And again, coming from the production of whether it's Joy Orbison, whether it's Low Selector, or whether it's any of those people I've, I've, I've talked about, we just found, oh, and this was amazing. So I found three or 400 dats with loads of music on. We lifted all the music off the dats and I went through the dats with the girls on a, 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 a sound system in the front room. And we listened to 115 tracks that have never come out before. And, they, and, and that was a moment in itself. Now, some of those tunes are coming out with uh, my friend's label, Night Force. I've done two albums. I've done an album called uh, 94 The Golden Years. Ten tracks, uh, all on vinyl, remastered, cut, coming out as limited edition. And I've got a new project called 21st Century Junglist, which is jungle updated with today's speed of 175. And that's coming out on a 10-inch box set. And I listened to both albums this morning. And also I've got a Dark Soldier album coming out and I was like, wow. And that just keeps spurring me on to know that these guys making music, I listen to them and it inspires me back. So it's the universe, it's like a circle conveyor belt. As you feed it, it always comes back round, you know. And it's funny, Joy was there when Lola was playing. What a moment that is for her cousin to be in the, the, um, the room. And he looked at me and he went, we all knew that Lowe was going to be the one that DJ'd, right? And I was like, yeah. And he went, hey, she fucking looks like you like up there. She looks really calm and cool and, 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 uh, as a cucumber. And, and then I he heard a tune and he looked at me and he went, is that you? And Because uh, I sampled Love and Happiness. And I went, yeah. And I went, I haven't even fucking played the tune out yet. And Lowe has <laughs> played it. And he went, I knew it was you. He goes, it's got that soulful, deeper love vibe. And I said, thanks. But that, even that, Look, we're out coming out of the pandemic. It's coming into 2022. It was the 7th of January. And here he is in the club with his girlfriend. My ex-wife's there. My, my daughters are there. Family and friends are there. And we're just like, you know what? This is, wow, Lola's DJing now. Look at her there. Do you know what I mean? And, and that in itself just makes me happy. Do you know what I mean? Like, to know that... I'm more than halfway through my life now. Do you know what I mean? Like you, I guess, start to have a reflection of where you've come from, where you've been. I guess that's what the book's about as well. So uh, so my, our legacy is documented. It's not just about me. It's about everybody that's in the book that's ever inspired me. But at least, Martha, I, when I die, someone can pick that up. Maybe in 50 years, there's gonna make a, they're going to make a movie and they're going to and they're going to do something about jungle drum and bass and they're going to use one of our tunes and they can draw reference to that because that's what happens. Like like look like look, 30 years, nearly 40 years have gone since we invented what we invented. What's going to happen in another 50? It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy to think. And it's great that the book will be there sort of as a documentation of your story, but also the wider scene um, and just a reference, really. It's really special. Um, I would love to hear a bit more about the process of writing and researching for the book. How did you even know where to start with that? I'd already written 20,000 words 10 years previous, so my memory wasn't fading. But at the time... Uh, my relationship with my ex-wife was breaking down um, and I just parked it off. When the documentary came out and they kind of cut us all out of Jungle Drum and Bass uh, documentary and there was a big hoo-ha about it, I reached out to Dave Jenkins and I was like, look, bro, I asked you before, you're the guy to help me write the book. I don't want to ghostwrite it. I want to write it with you. I want to put the titles down. Or, you know, of the chapters. I want to tell you my story. I want to correct that story. I want to write it with you. I want to go through word for word. And I want us to be, because I want to make films, Martha. So this was my first beginning of, now I can prove I've made a book and I'm an author. And now I'm, because there's a children's book I've always wanted to do as well for my daughters called Lolly and Boo, The Adventures 
adventures of lolly and boo and um and and then uh, whilst doing that i wanted to, i wanted to do the documentary and after that i've written five films and i'm gonna make the first two and star in it produce it direct it and then get some more actors in it because i don't i don't want to wait for things to happen i'm gonna get an agent and i'm gonna do what i need to do but i've always a great believer in i'm self-made and i'm self-taught so why would i go and change something now do you know what i mean um, but the process of writing the book, it was it was two hours of Zoom calls every week on the dot. Sometimes it would run over. We did that for nearly a year, close to nine to ten months. We then did um, 35 testimonials on Zoom with all the, my, the people that, that we interviewed that were part of the book that gave us an input. And then we drafted the first copy. And then we read it back and then we did all the corrections of this isn't right, that's not right, this is the wrong way round, this isn't right, no, this needs to be rewritten, this needs to be done. And then we read it together when we had the final script and signed it off. A long process, a very detailed process. Um, so when your readers sit down and take the book in, what do you hope that they might take away from reading your book? from the reception of what I've got from the book, um, it, that they're appreciative of, it's the same story as the guy or the girl next door. It's full of heartache, it's full of tragedy, um, but it's full of um, picking yourself up and going forward and, being, and, it, and to be inspired and be inspiring and to send a positive message. Because I just think too many people give up and, and they want to give up because, oh, I can't do it. But actually, you can do it. You just need to apply yourself. Now, I'm a qualified jet ski instructor now. I'm, I'm, I'm 54. Uh, I'm 55 this year. And I did that a couple of years ago. And babes, I jumped two or three metre waves. You know, I'm fit as a fiddle. Uh, I go training five days a week. Today, I did yoga every Monday. I do an hour of yoga with my yoga teacher, uh, Ash Tanger on Zoom. She's amazing, Jade Crystal. And it's about your mindset and it's about how you want to perceive your energy going into the world. And I, I don't, we don't want war, we want love, you know. And, 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 it, and it becomes spiritual. You open up your third eye, you open up your chakras, you start thinking about different things, the way you eat, the way you talk to people, the way you are. Uh, your mannerisms and how you want to t send that on to your children. They will send that on to their children's children and hopefully we can get seven or eight generations blessed. It doesn't matter what colour you are, what religion you are, what you want to eat, what you look like or whatever. If we can live in a harmonious world, they're not doing a very good jo job out there at the moment because it's just chaos and it's to do with greed and hate and money and drugs and, and it's our responsibility as older people in the community to try and help that. So this is things that we're trying to do further down the line, workshops, music workshops, the radio station I'm involved in now, Thames Delta, amazing opportunities coming. And we're able to open the doors and everybody can get some change and everybody can get paid and everyone's doing it for the love and everyone's bringing people together because that's what makes the world go round and that's helps, bills got to be paid, you know. Uh, and, and, and I'm a great believer in that. So there's some exciting things, new things happening. But yeah, um, I, I, I think the fundamentals of, 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 of leaving a legacy behind, as you said, and, and, and trying to open another door now. Let's do a documentary. You know, hopefully you'll be talking about our documentary later on this year or next year, Martha. And then after that, be like, Hopefully it's a journey for us with you and your listeners as, as it is uh, much of a journey for us doing it. So we can come back and go, oh, shit, Ray said he was going to do a documentary. And, um, and the feedback I've had, people have said to me it's one of the best ones that they've read. And that's, that's, that's an amazing, beautiful thing. And I've sold more than one copy. And I just thought, shit, what happens if we don't sell one? more than one you know like it's always in the back of your head shit but I just was like you know what let's just do it and um, 
and we've sold a fair amount already. And I was like, wow. And even the people, uh, my distributor said, wait, in cooking books, they don't even sell a hundred. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like you're smashing it out of the park. And I was like, wow. So I'm just blessed, Martha. Thank you for this opportunity for shining the light on us and coming back for us. And um, I, I hope that it just um, helps people on their own personal journey. And, and if you're a fan of Jungle Drum and Bass, then it's got some funny shit in there that you just can say, oh my God, I didn't know that. Uh, and you're going to find out a lot of informative stuff about me that, that you probably wouldn't know that I'm just, I work as a DJ and then I, I, I worked at Black Market. Mm -hmm. There's so many, I suppose, spins or corners of the coin that you can go, wow didn't even know that then you look at the personal tragedy and the personal growth then then the diary of covid and then you look at the bibliography of our work and and those things where people wanted to know how did he make that or, or what happened or those questions i mean yeah i, I hope it, i hope they enjoy it i hope it makes them laugh and uh, it makes them take a minute to think about their loved ones as well you know absolutely well ray it's been so great to talk to you today thank you so much for giving up the time and yeah i'm excited for everyone to read the book and thank you so much you're welcome thanks martha lots of love bye thank you for listening to ra's exchange with ray keith dark soldier is out now as always, you can browse our full archive of podcast episodes and be sure to subscribe to The Exchange on your favourite podcast platform to receive updates from us. Until next time, take care. <laughs>